thanks for joining me, the Film 3 OG. I'm Jordan Bain, and this is The Next Wave of Cinema. On today's show, I welcome back my series regular, Stephen Murray of Bingeable, and we are joined by our good friend, Marty Kelts, as we talk about the Taylor Swift effect and how she is the proof of concept for Film 3. It, you know, there was a woman uh, by the name of Kate Koplovitz, um, who was was and is, uh, you know, just a brilliant woman. And um, she she put together, um, you know, the the USA Network, um, you know, for uh, I, I don't remember who who it was at that particular point was. It, but but it was a station that was owned by three or four of the majors okay so it was you know universal paramount and i won't remember who the other couple were um and she was this very uh light very smart engaging you know woman and um she would go into these board meetings you know and and all these heads of the studios would just throw lightning bolts at each other. You know what I mean? In other words, there there was no way, you know, she just had to keep ducking, you know, but, but, and, and somehow figure out a way to just do what she needed to do to build that network, which became a huge success, but had to do it in spite of them. And then I guess one of them bought, bought the other two out. Um, you know, but it was a, it was um, also Madison Square Garden uh, Productions was also, mm. you know, part of that mix. So I, I'm just imagining that th- this group of men are sitting there and it's nothing to do with the union or what they're negotiating. They're trying to figure out how this is a moment for them <clears throat> to be able to fuck somebody else. You know, not not necessarily figure out how they can agree. They don't want to agree. You know, <clears throat> there's an opportunity that they see is ripe for for somebody to come out with a win. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I, there's no way I don't know anything of, like about this for a fact. But um, I I I know those guys from 30 years ago and 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 they just you know <laughs> until they get hired by the other company you know the level of, of competition and hostility and anger and positioning is just overwhelming that guy manifested again in uh in hulu right where there was a similar yes. construct <clears throat> and the battles that just went on and 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 still you know some extent are going on uh, even once Disney came in and took over the majority of it, it, it that that stuff's still there. But I think I think you 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 really nailed it. Um, you're seeing it also with the AMTPP, AMPTP, um, where where you know like the stories are coming out from the Writers Guild uh, leadership. They're releasing stories about that they're having sidebar conversations with people from the studios who who are basically saying they want to break off from the streamers. That, they, that the problem is the streamers. That's, of course, what the studios are saying. Well, I mean, we'll see if that's true. But 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 the point is that they they actually are like the AMPTP 
as a construct to be negotiating on all of our behalfs when the studio's needs are so vastly different than the streamer's needs. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. no. It makes no sense. So they're basically throwing the streamers under the bus and saying, we'll go do a side deal with the WGA, which is really fascinating. And that might be the crack that that the, the guilds needed. Uh, it's not happening yet. It hasn't happened yet, but that is certainly being talked about. But it's exactly what you're saying. It's like they're going to find the person that they can damage on their way out the door. We've had two amazing shows on the strike. The first one with the two of you, and then the second one with Steven and Yvette. And both of them are absolutely full of alpha. Um, and, and, and Yvette brought you know, an entirely different conversation than what like you bring Marty and, and and it's all gold. It's all just so, so important. And I'm just so grateful that you guys come on here and talk about this. And let let me interrupt you. Okay. Because, because my, my sense, if this is helpful, is that it's the setup for what we're going to try to talk about today. In other words, it's, it's an indication you know, you, it, it's one thing to say that the uh, the system is broken, okay? But it's another thing to go down another layer and see how and why it's broken. And, and basically, the reason that it's broken is that everything that's being decided on at least the streamer's side, and probably the studios as well, is in terms of shareholder value. It, it isn't in relationship to the creators, the artists, the, the health and and prosperity of the motion picture and television business, the net, you know what I'm saying? In other words, it, it is it is a completely different agenda. We, we, we might as well be sitting down with uh, with five of the top, you know, manufacturers of concrete slabs that are competing with each other in the building business okay so so the point is that in lieu of this community that that's lost its its anchor in the creative industry that has given its reason to exist has emerged web three and film three and bingeable as an opportunity to fill the vacuum, in other words, to 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 say, look, you, you know, that's a broken system. It's a broken system because they, they their their soul, their mission, their being is not invested in the motion picture and television business. That isn't what they're doing. That that isn't what they're trying to succeed at. Whether it's the way they compete with each other to see how much of the pie they can have, you know, that's there because it's, it's locked. It's one pie. And what we're talking about, which is a completely different concept is a whole new pie, a different pie, a pie that is, is made up of and been curated by the creative community that loves movies and television and 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 filmed entertainment and telling stories and all the rest of that and and what they're doing and 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 bingeable and companies like bingeable are facilitating 
is a way to create a direct-to-consumer model to bypass that broken system and to have a model where the soul is returned, you know, to the mechanisms that get product to um, their audience. And, and, And why... Wouldn't it be the uh, direct-to-consumer model? And it's very clear that, um, you know, this whole Taylor Swift movie model, you know, and before anybody says, oh, you know, you can't use that as a model because Taylor Swift is something in and of itself. No, it's all a matter of scale. She's achieving something on a huge scale because she's a huge celebrity. But what are the tools that she's using? She's using a direct-to-consumer model. She's using bracelets, which are collectibles. She's using popcorn tins that are collectibles. She's negotiated directly with the exhibitors. So she's walking away with 50%, uh, 57% of the ticket value. It's already estimated that it'll be $100 million in weekend revenues, right? But it's our model. It's our model because she and her father, who happens to be a financier, right, comes out of the stock market world, understood how to negotiate this in a way where the greatest amount of benefit would accrue to her. And that's our mission. That's what we're committed to. That's what we're dedicated to. And and what I believe incrementally, slowly, we're we're succeeding at i'm just gonna let marty take over the podcast i'm gonna just sit back and listen like a good little disciple to the rabbi covered it right (laughs) that's it Uh, great show um (laughs) it's it's interesting but does that make i mean this is the big picture and and if you want i you know you know me i mean you think stephen can talk he's an amateur you know, oh. I'm 79. I got so many years on him and 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 the genes for never stopping. So you have to kind of <laughs> rein me in. But but I want to make the comparison between and prove the validity of what Taylor Swift has done with what the scholastic model was. OK, Absolutely. in terms of scale. The scholastic model, we, we never distributed a children's video in VHS or Betamax that grossed $100 million in a weekend. But I'll tell you, we made a lot of money selling video cassettes, both beta and VHS, to a lot of children and families all around the world. Because Scholastic was a, was a global company. It was a direct consumer business that was built on a model of narrow casting, okay? And the narrow casting model was to a finite, discrete, identifiable audience that was parents that owned VHS and Betamax machines that had children and had Scholastic as their supplier of children's books and entertainment and all kinds of things. And all we did was add motion media color and sound to that offering on a vhs cassette and a betamax cassette and bingo you create a network this isn't hard 
and and th this is this is the the alchemy, the potion that that Stephen has been working on low these twelve years or whatever is is essentially to come up with what would be the equivalent today of a motion picture television delivery system that is direct to Kasuma that works based on a narrow casting model that we have seen the proof of. So it's not, a, you know, some huge leap, you know, to see where the strengths are in this, in this business model or what it is that has to happen next. Okay. This is what has to happen next. And all we need is a proof of concept. And I, I think that we are completely within our sane business smart rights to say this Taylor Swift project is a proof of concept. 100%. That is exactly why I wanted to have this podcast with you on as a guest, Marty, and Stephen as well, um, because the Taylor Swift effect is phenomenal is absolutely phenomenal and you broke it down just beautifully i think that you know a lot of people may not remember what you did with scholastic and vhs and beta and things like that and the fact that you did that to fulfill a hungry part of a, a market where the parents had a, there was a great need to be able to entertain their children and you went straight to them you didn't negotiate this with anyone else you as scholastic said oh i see a need and we're going to fill it right and we're going to make sure there's no middlemen and then what we're doing in film three is exactly the same thing as you as you have laid this out so beautifully you know in film three we're basically saying creator-led communities are many studios you made scholastic a studio so Absolutely. we are we are studios um and we are creator-led and it is going straight to the community, as we call the community, what has been often been called the audience. Um, but we are making them and giving them engaged experiences. So what Taylor Swift has done, one, when she decided to take back the ownership of her IP, that's another thing, Film 3. Ownership Absolutely. of your own IP, right? So that you get the majority of the revenue of that. You're cutting out, again, the middlemen. Um, and, and then secondly, what we've seen, uh, which is just absolutely incredible is this AMC deal that she cut, um, which is again, direct to consumer. It is the proof of concept of film three. And I would love for you guys to keep rapping. I see Steven, I know you have some history with Taylor, um, because this is uh, the Taylor Swift effect is the proof of concept for film three. It is. Um, and that's not even remotely surprising if you know anything about Taylor and her business. Um, you know, I mean, I, you know, I always talk about how, uh, you know, when, when we got the opportunity to work with Taylor, um, which was well, frankly, a, a, not only a surprise, but in many ways, just kind of dumb luck <clears throat> that, that led to that. Um, uh, it was really clear from the beginning that the reason why she wanted to embrace this kind of stuff um, was because she 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 never 
liked the system the way it was. Um, I mean, you know, the, the example of that is when, you know, look, we're going to get, we're going to get deep here. This might go long, but, you know, for those of you who don't know about Taylor's history, Taylor was this young, I think she was what, 14, 15 years old, something like that, living in, in Pennsylvania, where her dad was, you know, a, a, a finance guy. And, and for whatever reason, and I think it's because they're all just really, really smart, um, they recognized that Taylor had something special, even at that young age, that she was very special. And they made a commitment as a family, a decision as a family to move everybody to Nashville um, and just to give her a shot. And the story goes that she went for months up and down Music Row to every publishing house on, on the row, sitting down and walking in, sometimes cold calling with a guitar and just saying, can I play you some of my songs? But, but she got rejection after rejection after rejection. She got turned down by everybody on the row except for one woman. And I'm, I blanked on her name. I feel terrible. But she she said, I see what you see, uh, Mr. Swift. Um, and and she sat down and they started writing songs together. And those songs became essentially her first album. Uh, and, and you know, everybody who, who, you know, was part of her team, they all were like, this is incredible. So she shopped it to every label and she got rejection after rejection after rejection turned away by everybody too young we don't need another another girl country singer we don't need this that 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 just all the excuses and all the reasons that you are you, you can imagine hearing from a bunch of fat old guys on the row saying we know what the people want right and and are we so, allowed to say that anymore um yeah yeah well, i mean truth is truth I yeah, I yeah, mean, no, yeah. I say it all the time. <laughs> uh, on, on the upside, on the upside, most of them are dead, so it's not like you come after them. But, um, but that was just the way it was back then. I mean, like it, you know, they called it a good old boys' network for a reason, right? I mean, it was right. definitely exactly. the way it worked. And again, this points to there, there, there is a DNA, there is a DNA here to to the way Taylor operates. She and her dad said, "Let's start our own record company." And so he went out to some of his friends and they all invested in what is now Big Machine Records. She started her own record company. When it was time to do her publishing and sell her publishing, she started her own publishing company. When it was time to sign with a manager, she started her own management company, 13 Management. That she went and she did it all herself. And, and that, is, that is very much in the DNA. I don't know if that comes from her dad or from her mom or from Taylor herself, but that is the entire uh, 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 just just way of point of view that the Swift family uh, and Taylor Swift as an artist and business person saw the world from the beginning. We could go through the old system and let them control what I do, or we could do it ourselves so that we can make the decisions. It's, 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 it's okay if we fail, but we're going to fail because of what we do. We're not going to fail because of what someone else doesn't. And that attitude just permeated everything about her business and everything about her as a as an artist even um the, a fearlessness a, 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 a you know a, a just a relentless sort of pursuit of doing it her way and saying it her way and you know that leads to you know years and years of success she did it again when she was signing with a new label when she when she was leaving big machine and going and and signing with an, a, a new label 
another big major label. And she went in and she negotiated a completely different type of deal for streaming royalties. We can, you, you know, Marty, you know, I've done an entire podcast series on, on the, on the publishing black hole uh, that, that, that steals streaming revenue from artists all the time, pays the labels and the labels don't ever attribute it back to the artist. Well, Taylor came in and said, if you want me, you've got to pay me the royalties that I deserve on streaming. And they agreed to that deal. And before she signed, she said, oh, and by the way, you have to give that same deal to everybody on your roster. <laughs> and guess what? They did, right? She completely changed the game for everybody in there. That's, that is her mindset. Well, fast forward to the Eras tour, fast forward to, to uh, th this whole unbelievable phenomenon, the summer of women of which Taylor is 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 right in the heart of it right in the center of it her tour earning close to 50 billion dollars this summer um you know i mean like like gross of course but but like it's it's extraordinary that the amount of money that that was generated um out of out of that in this summer is just incredible it's absolutely extraordinary and and you know she did what she always does they thought there's going to be a lot of people who don't get to see this there's going to be a lot of people who can't afford to come to the venue and pay $500 a seat, $1,000 a seat to come and see this show. And that's not right. So she filmed herself, paid for it herself to film the movie. And guess what? She took that movie to studios, to streamers, and every single one of them. This time they didn't say no, but they offered her a garbage deal one after another, a deal that she knew. She was never going to make her money back because the system is designed exactly that way. And she immediately recognized it and said, or I could just call AMC myself and go and do a deal direct with AMC. Because you know what? I got something that's going to put butts in the seats and AMC needs that. And what they don't need in any of this is a distributor. It's my movie. I can just go direct to them. So she calls up the CEO and as the story goes, they negotiated the entire deal themselves, the two of them. No managers, no lawyers, no agents, nobody. The two of them negotiated the deal. They didn't bring lawyers in until the last part of it where they had to execute the contract. And then it was done. 53% to, to, to Taylor and 47% to the, to the cinema, done. And it's going to change everything yet again. As you're talking, I mean, the unpacking of this just... On the level of, first of all, let's just talk about the trifecta of Taylor and Barbie and Beyonce and, and incredible. And, and, and just as a quick side note, why um, uh, they say that uh, of VC money that's given to to startups, that women traditionally um, uh, perform 60 percent better and yet they get uh, one fourth of the money that most men do. So I just want to point out that I don't want to talk anymore about paying attention to women. I think that everyone is doing a disservice to themselves and to the world by, by not supporting women. Cause number one, let's just look at what Taylor's done when she went into that and renegotiated uh, a contract with a new record company. She turned around and said, well, if I'm going to rise, I want my colleagues to rise too. Like she is constantly thinking about elevating others along with herself. Um, and secondly, 
take a look what she did as a you know just a little tiny surprise bonus for $55 million bonus uh, for her team because she was like, if I'm going to, and here's the, here's the crux, if I'm going to have a profit, I'm going to share that profit with the people that are a part of my team. And that is where AMTPT or whatever the fuck their name is, um, <laughs> where they don't, they don't understand that, they literally can't create the content without without the actors and the writers, and they literally can't market the content without them. And therefore, if you're not marketing it, where's that return on your investment? So why wouldn't you sh you profit share with your with your colleagues, with your co-creators, because that's what you are doing. Absolutely. And, and I want to correct one thing real quickly. I said fifty billion. It's five billion. Sorry, five Jeff, billion. That would that would be. Yeah, fifty billion pretty, was big. Pretty, pretty, but yeah, you know, Stephen, if you if you add in um, the the revenue that's being generated for local businesses and hotels in the individual cities where the concert is being held, you know, the store that sells the bracelets or the beads. I mean, it has a, a trickle down effect uh, that's just you know, been an economic boost for cities, some of which, you know, have been in, in economic decline. And the brands then have, have, have jumped on board with the with the project, you know, progressive insurance and all that stuff. They're paying for that, right? I mean, they are actually paying to be in part of it. Um, you know, I, I, there, there's a great article in Variety about this where, you know, talking about the marketing campaign. And, you know, he said, yeah, we spent $150 million, but we probably got double that in earned media just from people talking about it, from people changing all of their color profiles to pink and all of those things. I mean, it, it, it became its own phenomenon. And, and um, you know, but, but you know, all of that is this this is the real challenge. And we, we have a very clear example of the difference between the the unbelievable phenomenon that is Greta Gerwig's Barbie and the unbelievable phenomenon that is Taylor Swift's Eras Tour. And the difference is that Taylor did all of the stuff that she's accomplished on her own, including the deal with AMC. And Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig, who absolutely deserve every bit of credit that because not just because Margot was Barbie, Margie, Margot produced that project. I mean, she and her husband, this was their, their production company's first film. And so, so they, they went, but they went through a big studio and a big distributor. And that means that even though all of that success, you can look it up, look at article after article after article about the success of the Barbie movie. And within the industry, the headline says Warner Brothers does this. Yeah. Warner Brothers did this. They're marketing the genius behind blah, 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 blah. And, you know, like you, you said something early on, uh, Marty, and I've heard you say it before. Uh, but you said um, that, that uh, you know, the, this this idea of, of uh, how the industry has sort of, uh, you know, sort of sucked the, 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 the passion out of the art form and all that stuff. Look, it, the first mistake was to ever assume that the industry could be responsible, you know, uh, uh, caretakers of the passion of artists in the first place. That is not their agenda. To expect Warner Brothers or Paramount to have a soul that, in, that, that somehow permeates the storytelling is, of course, 
just not realistic. Their soul is their shareholders. Their, 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 their fuel is their revenue. And their motivation is only to increase both the, the, the shareholder value and the revenue. And, and, and so what they, the way they had figured out how to do that is there is this incredible treasure trove of artists who are so passionate and who so desperately want to do their work that they will accept the egregious terms that they're offered just for the chance to do it. And that is the power the industry has over creators. And that's why, as you said, Marty, the only way to fix that is to replace it. And you've heard me talk about this in spaces that, that artists are so desperate that they will take any deal. And you know that, that I feel very strongly about people coming into the film three ecosystem that are um, wolves in sheep's clothing that, that are still not, truly offering deals that are um as they as as we hope that they would be in this space so you get it's two things that are going on but i do want to turn it back because one of the things you said earlier marty was you talked about how the economy's changed in all these cities you know that the federal reserve was the one that said that taylor swift was changing and could is and and saving the u.s economy like that's incredible. That's an, no, no, it's it's extraordinary. An yeah, no, no, no. I think I think it 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 it, it it's, it's again. You, you know what I mean? Uh, this business of of satisfying an unmet need. Um, you know, and 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 I think um, you know what I want to connect it back to is um, you know, and I I I hope Stephen, you're comfortable talking about this. But 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 basically, Stephen invented Swifties. Okay, Th this whole model. Yeah, you did. I mean, you, you, you know, in terms of the way you identified the first fans that she created, you know, uh, a relationship with, a personal relationship with, you know, on a very small scale. But but that laid the foundation for you know the model that she's she's built out from there but she was really through the work you were doing with her you know reaching out as she does now to obviously from a much smaller group of people but engaging them to be her partners in in growing her brand in selling and promoting her brand and in buying her records. And what we're looking at now is that, you know, blown out to the equivalent of the scale of her popularity, visibility, and success. But it's the same model. Well, listen, hold on. I have to address one thing. I did not invent Swifties. In fact, nothing I did really was of any consequence with it. I think we uh, I, need to to tell the audience who may not have heard about your relationship with Taylor where it started with Amplify. Well, with well sure. I mean, so so, but but to clarify, and I say this every time, um, you know, I, I did not in any way, shape, or form help to build Taylor's career. She helped to build mine. The vast majority of what occurred would have occurred whether I was there or not. I just marked it down. I just wrote it down and said, that is something. That is something that can be harnessed. And we tried to help and, and add some things, but 
you know, it was early. There, there were, there were a lot of things that we tried that didn't work and, and whatever, but, but no, look, to be very, very clear, you know, when, 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 uh, you know, I, I, I tell the story quite often that I would, I was working on a project at MTV, uh, in 2007 or so. And I wrote the, what, what it became the first draft of a business plan that became bingeable. And I knew that there was virtually no way to do it, uh, based on what the technology was, the, where the marketplace was and all that. I knew we couldn't do this idea of allowing the creators to be the marketing and distribution for premium film and television. That was the idea, right? That they were the ones who was going to, who were going to market and sell directly to consumers. That was always the idea, even back in 2007. But the technology did not exist to do the to do the distribution or the delivery or anything like that. I mean, you could barely even stream videos on the internet at all at that point. And it was outrageously expensive. But there was the one thing that I knew we could do, and that was to utilize social media to replicate something that I had done in the music business previously, not just me, but I mean, lots of people did this this way. But the, the idea of of street team marketing, where, you know, I tell the story the same way every time you give a kid a baseball hat with the record company logo on it. And even though he lives in Wisconsin, he's suddenly in the music business and he can tell all of his friends that, you know, I'm in the music business now. And hey, you need to buy these CDs and you need to come to the show. And then when his friends showed up at the venue, he's behind the velvet rope with a lanyard on saying, I'll be out and, and, and be out and sitting with you guys in a second. I'm going to go have a beer with the band. That was such a, 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 a flex for those individuals that that they would go out and do massive amounts of marketing for us for the cost of a baseball hat. And that was really genuinely how we built our company. There were other companies and I wound up partnering with the guys who were the founders of Loud Records who, who you know, they, you know, street record company, SRC, the Stephen Rifkin company. That was kind of the origins on the hip hop side. They did exactly that sort of thing. And that's why when we all got together, it was very clear we should start a record company together. And that was that we all came from the same philosophy and the same idea. So I joined their record company and, and, you know, we, we started doing a lot of these things and then along comes social media. And I'm like, this is digital street teams. That's all that is. And so I created with a, with a partner, um, a company that we called Amplifier and the whole idea behind Amplifier was that if you if you communicate with your fans in the right way online and incentivize them and, and and align with their interests, they will go do so much marketing for you that you can reduce your traditional marketing spend. And that was the pitch. And through various twists and turns and through a partnership that we formed with another group, the first person to ever use any of these tools or any of these these philosophies, for lack of a better term, was Taylor Swift. And and so we we just kind of fell into that opportunity and but I, but I have to say again look the you know we, we were brought in by 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 big machine records and then and then eventually by by 13 management where we did a lot of collaborations and did a lot of work together um but seriously and I, I this is not false humility um she was going to be as big a star as she was at that moment whether we were there or not I simply tried to insert some ideas and some philosophies and some some initiatives into what she was already going to be doing. And I took away so much more than we ever gave her, 100%. Still, and I, and I, I try to say this every time I talk about it, I want to be very clear. Taylor is by far, 
present company included, sorry guys, the smartest business person I've ever worked with in the industry. <laughs> she knows what she's doing. She is in the position she's in on purpose because she is that smart and that good and 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 that uh, uh, forward looking and and frankly fearless, which was one of the records we worked on. Um, her record fearless, you know. So 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 it's it, it, look. I she's a she's amazing. I was the lucky one, not not her in any way because of because of my involvement with her early. Then let's then let's talk about this because if if and and I am not surprised that you took away so much alpha from working with Taylor and now you have brought that to film three, right? And you are on Mondays. You have been doing this show 25 times or more at this point of our 420 something more shows than we've done that you've been talking about building the next wave and incentivizing and inspiring, you know, um, the greater film three community. Let's talk about these, these things that are the Taylor Swift effect, because that is before, before we saw, the summer of Taylor Swift and this incredible uh, deal that she made with AMC, which is going to change the film industry again, as it should, the direct to consumer model um, that Marty has been trying to get us to pay attention to for over a year and a half now, um, since he's been coming <laughs> to the shows, he's like, when are we going to do something about it? Um, so let's talk about this because I want to make the comparisons as we can um, for like, I want to break it down for someone like myself who needed to hear it a hundred times before I understood it. Um, what is it from creator led to, you know, Taylor's a creator led brand, right? And, but it's also ownership of IP and it's also the built-in audience on the, you know, it's basically the pipeline. She became the pipeline. She is the pipeline. She removed all the other people and said, you don't need to be my pop pipeline. My pipeline is from me to my community, direct to right. consumer. So right. I, I, these are the three pillars with which Film 3 is built on ownership of IP, creator-led community, and basically the marketing and distribution arm of that. I think there's a, there's a fantastic comparison between Barbie and Taylor's tour and the, the, the examples of what's happening, and I and I I think I think we should cover a few different things, and and Marty, I want to make sure you get you get your perspective in on this, but but definitely when you compare the two things, so you know Taylor's tour, uh, it, it has already gen generated almost twice what Barbie has generated, uh, in global ticket sales. Okay, um, you know the last. Time I looked on IMDb Pro, Barbie was at like 1.4 billion global, something like that. And Taylor is, you know, three weeks ago it was two billion, then it was three billion, and now they're saying five billion. Um, so like it's it's just massively, uh, you know, more successful overall. And here's the difference, and it has to do with the structure of the deal that they did for Barbie versus the structure of everything Taylor does, and and with Barbie. You, you, you guys have heard me say it a hundred times, 1.4 billion, divide that in half because approximately 50% goes to the cinema and it's, it ranges, it varies, but it's a safe bet to say somewhere around 50%. And then 35% 
minimum going to the distributor. And then all of the costs of marketing and everything is all bundled into that package. And that distributor share takes 100% of the adjusted gross revenue after the amount comes out for the cinemas. They take 100% of that until all of their marketing costs are recouped, which by the way, you'll never be able to prove if they were or not recouped. That's how, you know, that's why we call it the, the marketing and distribution black hole. But even if you calculate it just straight and say and say 50% to cinema, 35% to the distributor, and 10% usually to sales agents and marketing agencies and things like that to take a cut of all that, that leaves five cents of every dollar to, ba- to pay back the costs of production and marketing, which is the responsibility of the financier or the studio or the production company. So in that scenario, Warner Brothers gets that 5% first. Right. I mean, or the studio gets that 5% first. The financiers, who Warner Brothers and whoever the financiers are, get that 5% first. And that's why things never recoup. Now, Margot Robbie's production company is probably in that 5% bucket. They're probably taking something and deservedly so. Uh, whether Greta got anything out of that, I probably not. Probably not. That's just not how it typically works. So, what that means is anybody who was going to get back in points on Barbie, even at $1.4 billion in revenue on a movie that they publicly acknowledge they spent around $300, $350 million on in both production and marketing costs, even in that scenario at $1.4 billion, that financier, that studio, and Margot Robbie and her husband's production company are still in the red. And therefore, there are no profits. On the other side of the equation is Taylor Swift's Iris Tour, where she is giving out $50 million bonuses to her team, right? You know why? Because she's making so much money off of that. And that's even with, and that's an expensive tour to put on. I mean, that is a big, big production. It is, it is, I, I don't even know how many millions of dollars a, a day that that production costs. And she's still, because of the, 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 the fact that there is nobody in the middle. There are none of these middlemen. There are nobody with their hands out taking money from that tour that she is going to be able to take the lion's share of that revenue for herself. And she is doing exactly what most artists would do, share it. Share it with those who are, who are, the, who are making it happen. And it's just, it's just, you can see the difference. It's why the film industry is in so much trouble. And the last thing I'm gonna say, I know I've been ranting, Sorry, Marty. I, you you challenged me by saying that you talk more than me. Uh-uh, pal. Take a seat. Um, <laughs> you win. <laughs> but the last thing, the last thing I'll say um, uh, about uh, about the idea that that what Taylor did with AMC and the direct to the cinema, the direct to the exhibitor deal that she did, um, and whether or not that is going to change the movie business forever, um, I have my doubts about that, frankly. I think I, agree I, think, with you. There, I yeah. think there are, you know, so so interestingly, and and you know, Jordan, you and I have talked about this offline. It was Francis Ford Coppola actually did his deal for Megalopolis before Taylor. So he was already doing the same thing. And and the other thing to remember is that uh uh, uh Netflix and 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 uh, uh even Apple already have direct deals with AMC as well, right? With no distributors. So so there there there's already been stuff like that. I mean, through through one of Bingeable's partners, we have a deal where where we can market and sell AMC theater tickets as well. 
uh, through the bingeable channels. So it's not just VOD that can come through a bingeable channel. You can buy tickets to the movie theater as well. And the talent and or whoever sells those tickets gets that commission. So the AMC and other and, and even Landmark and some of the other cinemas, they're doing deals like this. That is going to change things. But without the marketing, without the the legs that come from 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 just you know Taylor's ability to to get news simply by doing anything that she does and everybody clamoring for it by knowing that she had a tour that the vast majority of the country wasn't going to see and the vast majority of the people what wasn't going to be able to see because of the, the the cost and the vast majority of people who saw it once would want to see it again she knew she could go to cinemas and 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 put it put a filmed version of that tour in there and people will come if you count that movie going into cinemas, it will probably make this a year where the box box office uh, revenue actually ticks upward, whereas before it was not going to. It was not going to be above 20, 2019, which was the lowest uh, uh, you know, uh, since 1995. In 20, 2019 was the lowest since 1995. This will probably be above 2019 this year. And that's simply because of Taylor. Had she not done this, it wouldn't have happened. So, so I think it's important to make sure that we put in context the, the naysayers that you were pointing out, Marty, that would say, oh, well, you can't do that because it's Taylor. That's kind of true, right? Not everybody's going to be able to do that. But it does point to the power of the relationship with the audience and who actually has it, right? Taylor's still got a record company. Taylor's still got management company and all of the, you know, blah, 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 blah. But, but the relationship between the fan or with the fan is not with the studio. It's not with the streamer. It's not with the record company. It's with the talent. And she is reminding everybody that that's where the power is. We're just going to scale it all the way down. It is only, only about the core idea here or concept which is it's really about the artist and their community that is no i you said it's about scale right it's about expectations and scale look yeah. taylor taylor it's it's reported that she spent about 15 to 20 million dollars making her movie uh of her concert right made about spent about 15 to 20 million dollars so so in order for her to break even at 53 percent She's got to do about $40 million, $42, $43 million uh, in, in gross box office revenue, given her deal with AMC, where she gets 53% of the box office. Um, she's got to do, you know, what, $40, $40 million, let's say, right? Which means that given that they're predicting a $100 million opening weekend, think about how much money she's going to pocket as a result of that. If she had released it through Warner Brothers, like, like, like Margot Robbie did, it would it would be in the red and it would still be in the red at the end of its run. Just a fact, because that's how that system is designed to work. If if there is one impact that this is going to have, it is going to point out how messed up that system is mm -hmm. more than ever, because she can just put up receipts. It's like, you know, broke even with with pre-sale tickets, went into profit within one hour of the first first screening. You know, I mean like that, I mean like that's gonna be a fact that she can point to that is that is really extraordinary. And it is because the middlemen were removed. And that is fundamentally and philosophically what film three represents. Removing the middlemen, allowing 
creators and their communities to go direct to audiences. And that is the, the only difference is scale. If you have an audience that is 100,000 people and, and yeah, but you know that 100,000 people will absolutely engage with a, with a project and you're going to get a high percentage of those to convert and not only you know pay to watch the project, but actually then go tell their friends about it, then you can absolutely make that movie. You've just got to adjust your budget, budget to that, right? You can't sit there and say, oh, we're going to, we're, uh, well, you know, I think we're going to reach 10 million people. Well, good luck. I hope you do. I really hope you do. But if your budget is dependent upon that, it'll fail. It's just like, I mean, that's just not how it, unless you are doing something like, you know, with Taylor Swift and then, you know, the calculations are, are different. Yeah, I, 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 I think it's, you know, in answering what what Jordan was looking for, um, it's really worth getting a little bit more gran granular um, and 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 taking you know a look at uh, and I at, at how this plays out. Um, and I and I think uh, a, a very good lens for looking through this uh, at what we're talking about is bingeable. And not because bingeable is the only, you, you know, way that direct to consumer can happen. Okay. Let's, you know, say that in advance. But, you know, the person who created bingeable is the person at the microphone right now. Okay. And the other person at the microphone is the person who created film three. So, you know, and the other person it, is the is the person who created direct to consumer for for uh, children's entertainment platform. Okay, great. I love it. Thank you. I take my hat off to you. But <laughs> but but I think it's very. This is where I get frustrated in the spaces conversations because we don't take it to the next step. You, you know what I mean. And what I would be afraid of is that everything we're saying will be dismissible because we keep talking about Barbie and we keep talking about Taylor Swift. And and really what I think I want to be able to do is essentially make the parallel between the video on demand system that Bingeable is, okay, as a delivery mechanism, as an audio visual delivery mechanism, directly into somebody's home that is no different than what it was that it be a to be a Betamax machine and a VHS machine in the homes of parents who had children that wanted quality entertainment for them. Okay. And the beautiful thing about that model was that Scholastic as a total company had both the mechanism for promoting that product and saying, hey, look what we've got. And then it had a distribution mechanism, which in its own way was pretty clever and brilliant because basically the teacher is distributing a flyer to the kids in the classroom. They're seeing, oh, there's, I can get a video, a cartoon or something that I can watch which we make sure is of the highest quality. And then we shift that VHS ca cassette or Betamax cassette with the books to the teacher in a box 
that distributes it, distributes it direct to consumer. Okay. And and that's what happens. And that child has come in, you know, parents first. How much money do you need me to give you to come into school? Because they paid for it right right then and there. You know, there's no credit card. I mean, this is this is, you know, when when I had hair. So, you know, it, 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 there, there's a direct parallel here, it seems to me, because essentially what we're doing is we're taking that narrow casting concept where all of us hoped that it would lead to content being king and we're fulfilling the promise of that through a technologically available delivery system that's here right now. It just has to be rolled out. So we don't wind up in this in this sort of gray area where we're saying in film three fixes this, you know, and you save your, you know, you, you don't have that cost and you you own the IP and this, that, and the other thing in a very granular, atomic way, bingeable is the model that demonstrates how that's accomplished. hundred yeah, percent. I mean, look, it, it, it's, it, it, I think, I think one of the bigger takeaways from all of this that, that, that I think is important when we're talking about trying to get to the granular level um, and, 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 you know, use Taylor as an example, not necessarily the template, right? I mean, the fact is right. she is going to accomplish things that you, you know, most will not be able to accomplish. Frankly, you know, I mean, like even even a film as important as as Francis Ford Coppola's Megalopolis is going to be, the question is, will consumers suffer the friction of going to the movie theater, going to the cinema for that movie? We know they will suffer that friction for Taylor Swift's Eras Tour film, right? I mean, they're, they're, this is the, that's a known thing. They will, they will. Can, can you tell us a little bit more about the the, the uh, mega mega? I can't even pronounce that word. Megalopolis. I mean, yeah, because I, 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 I mean, at least for me, maybe other people who'll be listening to this don't have a context. I know that he's making another film, but is there something different about? The yeah. business model that they're using and oh, absolutely yeah i mean francis did look there's a reason why the coppola family started decentralized pictures with leo matchett and mike Passanti, right there, there's a reason good. I, so good this is, is important and, and, to spell and, out. and that is they embrace the idea a of doing things differently all you got to do is look back at american zoetrope in 1969 to see that great right it's this this has been francis's mindset uh really honestly from the beginning that that there are other ways to do it and we should explore those other ways to do it so so the first thing that he did differently was that he did not take anybody else's money to make this movie this is an expensive movie they're going to spend probably about as much as they spent on barbie on this movie it, it is it is a massive production um and and uh but he refused to let a studio or a distributor offer him any money to, to, to finance this film. And what that did is it freed him up to do a direct deal with AMC, just like Taylor did. I don't know the terms okay, of it. Good. I don't know much of the okay, details good. at all. No, no, no. But, but, but right. he, he did that deal direct. And then just for context, Megalopolis is Francis's announced last film that he will ever direct. 
So this is a monumental moment um, in the history of film. And I can tell you this, I will be going to the movie theater to see it for <laughs> sure. But the reality is that the marketplace data is very clear. A night at the movies is extremely high friction. It's expensive. It's a pain. You have to drive. You have to park. You have to find your seats. All of those things that that are keeping it so that the average American consumer sees less than two films in the cinema per year. And I'm betting that that number will actually still possibly go down this year uh, compared. The only reason the revenue is going to tick up is because the ticket prices are more expensive. They've just raised the ticket prices. So, and they've been doing that for years in order to compensate for the falling number of actual ticket sales. If you look at the ticket sales numbers themselves, they have been stagnant or declining for about 20 years, right? The only reason the revenue has been, has been, uh, you know, even remotely close to, to what they would consider to be successful is because they're charging more per ticket. So all of that to say that what Taylor as an example, what Francis as an example, is the idea of cutting out the middleman and going straight to consumers, a much more direct path. Uh, and that's what we should take away from that. Not that we can sit here, the three of us, and go make a movie tomorrow and release it in AMC theaters. And because no, we're no, no, 57% no, 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 or 53% of the revenue, we're going to make more money because you still got to get the butts in the seats. You still no, got to get no, but, but that, that, that is the challenge. That, that's why the comparison I'm making is to the VHS and Betamax machine as the audiovisual device that made it happen in the home. Exactly. I'm not saying, you know, that film three is is about using this model to demonstrate how my two three million dollar movie can then be distributed by me you know uh to movie theaters i think this is why you know what i'm trying to steer us toward which is the comparison between the in-home video delivery on demand model and a VHS and Betamax machine. In, in, in other words, in, in other words, what you do, and this is what was so extraordinary about that. And I think because so much time has passed by that, that you know, you, you have to understand there was a box in your living room, okay? That box showed you television. That television was exclusively and entirely made available to you by a television network, either a local network or a national network. You had an antenna on your roof. You had rabbit ears on that. But the only way you were going to see anything on that box was if it came through the airwaves. No cable, no nothing. Had to come through the airwaves, through the NBC, CBS, ABC, CBC, for my, I have to be fair to the Canadians, you know, global, whatever. And and the thing that was so revolutionary about the video cassette recorder was it had two wires that came out of the back of it and went into the television set. And all of a sudden, I could watch on that television set something that I rented, that I purchased, that I owned, and 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 see it in my living room. Okay. The invention of so, on demand. I, that, it, it, I, it, absolutely. I right. So the film three movement 
is is about using as a point of liftoff this opportunity to use a low friction distribution mechanism that the marketplace with the success you know of Netflix and Hulu and all the rest works we see it we see it working okay it's just set up so the house is the only one who wins okay so here's another opportunity to figure out a way it's not two wires that you're hooking up to the back of your television set i remember doing that manually by the way let me tell you and um you know did you ever get the to clock out, to work that you know never no 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 i never got the yeah. clock to work nobody did it just blinked. You go into anybody's home, there was a VHS machine, and it was blinking. blinking because it's noon they again. Never it's set noon the again. Time. It's midnight. Right. <laughs> so, so, so really, in this, I hope we're getting to the point you want to get to, Jordan, because it's really where the conversation has to end in looking at something that is very real, very concrete, is in place right now. We've seen the model of it, okay? In other words, there there were community antenna systems. Then they came along. That was another two wires that could go into the back of the TV set. And, And the TV set became a monitor, okay? It becomes a monitor more and more every day. And that's what it's done with Netflix. That's what it's done with Hulu. And that is why... The bingeable model is so guaranteed to be able to work in this environment because it accomplishes the same thing. But the production, distribution, delivery and consumption is all happening in a single thread through the only people that really care about what it is they're going to be receiving on the monitor that's in their living room or bedroom or computer or laptop, so forth, whatever. Literally, Marty, yes, you are breaking it down. And, and, and you know, I, I have not had an actual television in my home where I've lived, my own home, in two decades because I was like, why? I've got my computer here that is completely entertaining me. And then once streaming came, I could watch everything I wanted on my computer. I didn't need this other other thing. Did you know that that the average human being spends seven hours a day on the Internet? Did you know that there are something like I mean, I just I ended up with some data, which is crazy because I'm not the data person. But (laughs) you're going to like this. I know billions, like 300 billion websites. Right. So. I, I would like to say this to your point, and probably not as elegant, eloquently as you just said it all, Marty, is that the reason Film 3 is built on top of Web 3 is because everything is built and being consumed in the Internet, right? We're spending seven hours a day on it, and to Stephen's often point, the subscriptions are in and out, in and out, in and out. Most people are on their phones that are on TikTok. There is a consumer behavior change that is is significant but we are on the internet and film three is on the internet and and the way that you can go and watch like my film the sea is all i know you can go to vimeo and you can stream it do i make a do i make 
anything off of that? No, I do not. And that's to me, of course, where we have to change change the model here, right? When we're talking to my colleagues or our colleagues, and, and we're basically saying that Film 3 fixes this, and they can come in and say, how does it fix this? And we say, well, the mechanisms are already here, right? It's these three pillars, creator-led communities, owning your own IP, and the dis- marketing and distribution mechanisms. They are built. Why aren't they flooding in? Partially is because of the noise out there. We have not broken through the noise. I think that what we are going to see is um, what happened in December 1995 when Wired Magazine said the internet is going to absolutely go away. This is never going to make it. And of course, you're not paying attention to the people out there innovating, right? It is just a matter of time that, that Web3 is going to permeate every single person's life, whether they want it or not. And what I think we're trying to do with such incredible conviction is say to our creator friends, guys, get on the train now, get ahead of the curve, right? Start building those communities, start being your own studio, be the CEO as as you taught your son and probably the rest of your children, Marty, be the you know, the CEO of your artist, be the, of your artist business, right? You have got to be the one making those, those things. What we just saw, what blows my mind about Taylor, she's out there writing song after song and hit after hit prolifically and negotiating with AMC by her. I mean, she's got the artist brain and the business brain. This is where we need to be. So, so web three and the way it's innovating, um, and the way that that we can on Web3, the differences, is, you know, is ownership. That's one of the massive ones why I keep hitting this on Film3 is about ownership of your own IP. That means that you get to make the majority of the revenue of what you create. I, I think, you know, w- one of the great models uh, and examples of, of, of how the TV set became a monitor was you know, what happened when these, you know, rural communities had their local appliance, you know, the guy that sold TVs and washing machines went and put an antenna up on the tallest mountain in their neighborhood and delivered a cable to their home. Another couple of wires that went into the back of the TV set, okay? And, And when HBO began, it essentially was delivering 35 millimeter cans of the feature films to the individual local satellite operate local cable operators, excuse me, you know, to be able to then show the movies. And then eventually HBO, because of the way technology changes everything, said, oh, what if we put the HBO signal up on a satellite and beam it down to the local, you know, uh, cable operators. And and by the way, we'll pay, we'll buy the receiving dish for them. Won't that be a good model? <laughs> but again, it, it it's it's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's the same TV set. It isn't any different. And it's people sitting in a room watching TV. <laughs> yeah. And they're watching it right off of their telephone. 
they are they are capturing that internet signal that world wide web while they're on the on the you know inside the subway in new york city right. and they are entertaining themselves 24/7 you know they are staying up all night swiping left on tiktok um and not getting any sleep so how do we wrap this up you guys because um this is an incredible show on the taylor swift effect but also like as we keep trying to find ways to communicate why film three really is what creators are seeking and why it's the next wave of cinema. Well, I, I, I have learned over the years that if you want to find out what young consumers are going to be passionate about and, uh, uh, you know, going crazy over a good idea is to keep your eye on uh asia because they are always innovating they are always pushing boundaries it's a completely different market it's a completely different type of market and it's usually a minimum of about two years ahead um that was one of the first things i learned getting into the into the entrepreneurial side of the business side is that if i wanted to know culturally what kids are going to be doing especially as it relates to technology, keep your eye on, on uh, Asia. Um, the other thing is if you want to know what the format or delivery mechanism for entertainment in the future is going to be, uh, follow the porn industry because they are also always innovating and always doing very, very interesting things uh, that, that with, with the business model, the actual business model. Um, and if you want to know what is going to be happening in the future of entertainment more broadly, watch what Taylor does. Mm. Mm. Well, I think that that's the way to, to close this one out today. 